0: So as, as I said, to have hope, a hope that is worth having, always comes with a cost. Hope does not come for free. It, it never has. Hope is such a valuable thing. It is so necessary to the human spirit that there is always a cost to having hope. Now, a true hope, it's worth the price. Okay, so when I say there's a price, don't think that I'm saying that it's, well, you you know, me. But there's always a cost to hope. And if we put our hope in the wrong thing, then that cost will always be too high. If we put our hope in money, then the fear of losing money will always outweigh whatever security it brings. You know, you're going to watch the stock market. You're going to watch the economy. You're going to watch it with this trepidation And even when times are good, you're just going to be afraid it's going to go bad. That's what money does to a person. But if we put our hope in something secure, well, then the price becomes something that's just kind of woven into the very fabric of that hope. And for us, the price of hope isn't so much what we pay, but that was paid for us. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ came, and it is sure, because of what Jesus did for us. He paid a very steep price for our hope. Now, it's one of those we can think about it, and automatically, when I say Jesus paid a steep price, we go to the cross, and rightfully so. But you know that he paid a price that was even more than just the cross, his life was about more than just the cross. And when I say just the cross, I know that sounds weird, right? You're like, the cross is like the biggest thing that there was. That that was where the the sacrifice was made for sin. And he suffered unbelievably on the cross. And, And all of that is true. But his entire life was an offering for sin. His entire life was one lived as a sacrifice. And so his suffering... The price that was paid for sin and for us began the moment of his birth. The moment of his birth. He already was paying that price. And so look with me today, and we're, just, we're looking at one verse today at the price of hope in Isaiah 53.3. And it says, He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, how would you like that written on your tombstone? Hey, pretty much everybody hated it. Because that's basically what this was. This prophecy that Isaiah made about the suffering servant, which of course is Jesus, is that pretty much the world was going to hate him. And that his entire life was going to be one of suffering, of sorrow, of rejection. And why? Because he came to pay the price for sin. And when we think about sin, when we think about that price, when we think about the damage that sin has done, as we talked about last week, Genesis 1-11 through is this whole kind of thing about, you know, hey, God made the world, and it was great, and it was good, and by the time you get to Genesis 3, you know, it's just this downward trend that just drops through the floor at how bad everything got, and so to pay the price for sin meant that the entire price had to be paid because the wages of sin is death. The Wages of sin is death, and when we say death, we, we kind of want to jump right to the end of what that means. It means you die. That's it. Okay, so you sin and then death enters the picture. But remember last week we talked about when sin entered the picture, the death that happened was that man was separated from God, from each other, and from self. So Jesus had to enter into every bit of that curse in order to redeem us from it. Jesus had to enter into what it felt like and experience firsthand every bit of the death that sin brings. See, a lot of times we don't think about that. That his life, every turn, had to be experiencing some other aspect of the brokenness of this world. So Jesus had friends who betrayed him, right? He had family who betrayed him didn't believe in him. He thought he was crazy. He lived under an oppressive government regime that did not appreciate the rights of of men. A brutal regime in that. The Roman Empire was, was brutal. He experienced every bit of what it means to experience the death that is brought by sin. And Jesus came to pay the price for that. And so listen again to what it says. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, when you think about Jesus, is that the first thing you think of is that his life on earth was one, that he was a man of sorrows. Now, I've, you've heard me say from time to time, I think that the Bible at times has a propensity for understatement. I, you know, and Jesus fasted for 40 days and he was hungry understatement. He's starving to death. He's on the verge of death. He's so hungry that anything is looking good. So when it says he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, what it's saying is that he was connect, this was connected to him. And it started at his birth. You see, when it says he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. These are not the adjectives any of us would use to describe victory and triumph. If we were to write a tragic story, these are the words that we would use to describe the the tragic hero, right? The tragic character. And yet when we talk about Jesus, we talk about victory. And sometimes I think we forget what it cost to have that victory, that he had to take all of this sorrow, all of this rejection all of this brokenness and pull it all to himself and experience all of it by choice for us, by choice. And so sometimes the problem is so bad that it can't be repaired, but you have to start over. Anybody ever do that? Like you're building something and you mess it up bad enough that you're like, nope, no fixing this one. Got to start over. You know, I remember when I was laying a, a, a countertop once, we were doing it in tile, and I was learning how to cut tile. I went through a whole lot of tile because I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> and, you know, you break it, it just right. It's like, well, that one's now useless. I've got to get a new one. And that's really what this world turned into is it got so bad that there was really no repairing this world. There just had to be the experience of this world and then create a new world on the other side. And that is the promise of the new heaven and new earth and the kingdom of God and eternity that God has made to us. But in order to get there, the price that had to be paid was all centered on Jesus Christ. Now think about how broken this world still is right now and that one person bore every bit of that on his own shoulders. In his own heart. So Jesus came to pay the price on every level that is demanded by sin. Not just to die on the cross, but to live a life of suffering and grief. So let's look at all of these kind of descriptions. He was despised and rejected by men. Now, this right idea right here in, in the, uh, the original Hebrew is to consider something or someone to be worthless, unworthy of attention. In Friday night, I spoke that, you know, Jesus was born largely anonymously. Most of the world went about its business not knowing that their creator had just come into the world. He was largely anonymous, not worth the time to be considered But you know, he kind of went his whole life that way. How old was Jesus when he started his ministry? He was 30 years old. Do we know, does history record anything between that time? We have one story in the Gospels about him getting lost when, when he was like 10 years old. And he wasn't lost, they just forgot him. It's a moment of bad parenting. But we don't have anything else. So think about this. The God who is worthy of all praise that we just sang about, that we were talking about, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus is born, all of this, that He lived for 30 years and no one cared. Who is worthy of all praise. He's, he sees the truth. He knows every... I mean, he, He's God in the flesh and yet lives anonymously for 30 years. Anybody in here ever feel alone? You think Jesus felt alone during that time? Yeah. He wasn't considered worthy of the time. And so, he was not a person of significance in that regard. Jesus was not famous during that time. Two, it says a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. His life was not a happy one. It wasn't. The life of Jesus Christ was not a happy one. But it was one of suffering. It was one of struggle. And starting with his birth, as I said, when he was laid in a manger. That is not a comfortable place for a baby to rest. That is not a clean environment for a baby. That is not ideal situation for a baby. So his life from day one when it says he's wrapped in swaddling closet, like it this is like the stuff that's laying around in there, extra cloths in the barn, wrapped up a newborn and put him in the feeding trough because you got nothing else. His life began with discomfort and suffering and would stay that way for the rest of his life. You know, one of the things that I think we fail to think about is in that culture... Remember what happened when Mary told Joseph, hey, I'm pregnant. And they weren't married yet. And it said Joseph intended to put her away quietly. He was going to divorce her and, and go away. He didn't want to put her to shame, but he was like, yeah, I got to go. This is, this is a bad deal. Because you get in a lot of trouble back then in that culture for things like that. And it's not, you know, every day that somebody says, hey, you know, a woman comes up and says, hey, I'm pregnant and God's the father. Joseph's thinking, I'm not sure who I just am engaged to, but I think I'm going to move on. And God speaks to him and says, Don't. It is of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and God protects him. But think about growing up in Nazareth the whispers, the gossip that would have gone around. I guarantee you, Mary and Joseph's reputation was stained for life. Jesus grew up as. It says he grew in stature with men, and he was well thought of, but you know people are like, well, but you know the circumstance of his birth. You know he's, he's this. See, Jesus would have grown up with that all around. His life was not a happy one. And then we find when he enters into ministry, very few people actually believe him. You ever notice that? I mean, we we have the crowds that are there and the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and all these crowds. But by the time you get through those events, how many are left standing, still following Him typically after those events? The 12. The crowds always seem to disperse. The crowds always seem to walk away. The Pharisees always seem to get it wrong and confront Him and and try to belittle and trap him. And he would say, you know, why are you trying to trap me? His ministry was not an easy one. And though he's performing miracles, and we look at this, and we're like, man, this is amazing. He's he's performing miracles, and he's turning water into wine, and he's raising the dead, and he's, he's healing the blind and, and the lame, and all of this is happening. He was met with hatred and resistance at every turn through all of that. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And he had to experience every bit of that his entire life. And then it says, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And the image right here is that his suffering and his difficulty in life would be so great that other people would see it and literally try to avoid him. It's like looking on somebody that is that is disfigured, and you just don't even want to look because it's displeasing to to you. Not wanting to look on something that is that is unpleasant, and it says his life was such that if you were just a casual observer, you, you would want nothing to do with him because you're like, man, that that guy leads a rough life, and it's it, I just don't want any. You, know, you keep that over there i don't want that in my life this was his life this was every day for him this is the price that hope and so then he he would not live according to the important things of the world like wealth and social prestige and reputation and being served and exalting himself and as he suffered for those choices, people rejected him and they reject him for the same reasons today. We can't go to Jesus and serve him and follow him and serve ourselves at the same time. Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself in order to follow him. Well, Jesus exemplified that self-denial all the way through his life. And so he didn't come into this world to to lead, you know, his best life right now. He came to lead a life of suffering, of sorrow, of grief. And so it says, and we esteemed him not. The whole point of his ministry was missed by everyone. Until the Holy Spirit came and illumined people on the day of Pentecost. Even the disciples. Jesus said, you know, there's much I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. But when the counselor comes, then you'll understand. And, and so by the time we get to the cross, the disciples have fled. Everybody has abandoned him. Everyone has walked away in some way, whether in fear or, or just in confusion it's not that they completely, you know, I don't like him, but it was still, he was alone. And nobody stood up for him in a meaningful way as he went to the cross. Now think about that. His entire life had been one lived, rejected by people, and he died being fully rejected by even those who claimed to love him. This was his life. Jesus came in love, in grace, and in truth to seek and to save the lost. And yet, because he came in love, in grace, in truth, he was largely dismissed by the world. He was rejected and he was hated. And by the end, he was abandoned. That's his life. That is who he was. And so I don't mean to paint too grim a picture right here, but this was his life. as it came he came to give his life and to pay the price of sin. That's what it meant is that his entire life, for 33 years, was spent experiencing the death that sin brings, while never sinning himself. Isn't that amazing? You see, when we say he never sinned himself, but he still experienced the, the effects of sin, that means literally everything that happened to him, he could say, I didn't deserve it. You ever thought that? You know, I don't deserve this. Jesus literally didn't deserve it, and yet entered into it willingly. And said, I will come to the world and allow people to treat me horribly. I will allow this to happen. I will be the brunt of all of it so that I can give my people new life. So I can give them hope. So how is it that Jesus was able to endure all of that? I'm going to tell you, 33 years of that would be, that would be enough, right? I mean, we, we would all snap. <laughs> at some point, we would sin, we would snap, we would lash out at people, we would want to get even, we, we just would. We would, you know, shake our fist at God, something. We would fail in some way, and yet Jesus never did You know why? How he endured the scorn and the hatred of the world? He himself had a true and secure hope. Because hope gives strength. You know that's how you get through tough times, is hope. You have to have hope. If you're hopeless, you give up. If you have hope, you press forward. You see, as we've talked about, is faith is always forward looking, fear is always backward looking. Fear is always looking back at, 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 oh, this happened, and and so it's got to be bad now, and I know it's just horrible. Hope and and faith are always forward-looking at what is better, what is coming. It is the firm belief that something better is on the way. And Jesus held that same hope in his heart throughout his life. Why? Because he knew what was coming. So listen to this. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these are examples from Scripture, okay, of people who live by faith, let us, lay, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what did it say? How did he get through that? It says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, for Jesus, the cross was the means to the end. We celebrate the cross a lot of times like it was the, like it was the end. It was the purpose. You know. It's where Jesus died and the sacrifice was made. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to make sacrifice for sin and then I'm going to take my life up again and I'm going to live eternally to intercede for my people and my people will be with me for all eternity and that is what sustained him. You see, the cross was worth it to Jesus because of what was on the other side. What was on the other side? Resurrection. Conquering death. The eternal kingdom of God set up that would never falter, never fail. That's what got him through all of it. And I I love how Hebrews says this. Who for the joy that was set before him. A lifetime of suffering, a death that was the most horrible that a human being has probably ever experienced. A spiritual darkness and oppression coming upon him so strong that even the sky turned black midday. Satan attacking in every possible way. Him feeling so alone and abandoned that he even cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, what does Hebrews say? For the joy that was set before him. He was willing to endure all of that because the joy wasn't on the cross. The joy was in the resurrection. And like I said, the hope that we have has to be greater than the suffering we're enduring to get us through. it. And so, again, one of those propensities for understatement for the joy set before him. Let's unpack that. What is the joy that was set before him? An eternal kingdom in which he would be seated at the right hand of the Father for all eternity. Do you all just refer to as, "Well, when I die and go to heaven, there will be joy. We, We don't just stop there. We want to talk about how great it's going to be. But you see, that's the point. Is Jesus knew deep inside. This is what will happen. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And if I lay it down, I have authority to take it up again. He knew, but he knew the suffering that was going to have to be there. But the hope that he had was so much greater. The promise was so much greater than the suffering that he would have to endure that it got him through it. The hope provided him the strength necessary to endure his circumstances. You see, notice his hope was not based in his circumstances at all. His hope led him to his circumstances. Think of that. His hope was that the people of God would be redeemed, that humanity would have a second chance, that by faith people could be saved. That was the hope, and in order for that to happen, it led him to the cross. And that's where I say hope always comes with a price hope always comes with a price now the price is worth it because it led him to that his hope was based completely on what would be accomplished through the cross his hope was based on something yet unseen yet was promised by God and was sure and so I want you to listen where did that hope turn up Where did that hope finally get realized? Listen in Revelation 1, 12 through 18. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. For the joy set before him. He knew this was where it was going. He knew this is what was going to happen. The Apostle John then says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead passed out. This is John who walked with him, who knew him. He knew him so well that he refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, he's laying against Jesus' chest and is reclined. I mean, they were close. And yet, when he sees the risen, glorified Jesus in heaven, he takes one look and passes out. That was the hope that Jesus had was this is where this is going. If I endure the cross, the resurrection and glorification happens. And it's what got him through. So then he says, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. And I love this. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. That's the joy that was set before him. You see, it hadn't happened yet, but he had that hope within him that he knew, if I endure the cross, this is what the Father will do. This is the plan, and the plans of God are always successful. And so hope gave him strength to get through. Was there a price to it? Yes. But the hope supplied the strength to endure and to pay that price. This is what the Apostle Paul says about hope in Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What is our hope? Is our hope in our life working out the way we think it should work out? No. Is our hope in God solving all of our problems now and making heaven on earth? No. What is our hope? Our hope is that at the final judgment, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. In the second death, judgment will have no hold over us. That is our hope. Our hope is that we will spend eternity in heaven with God as his people. That's our hope. And our hope that we don't yet see, okay, I don't see it. I can't touch it. I can't feel it. But that is what I hope for. That is where my life is headed, gives me strength to endure the brokenness of this world and to live faithfully now. We see it on display in Jesus' life, and it will work in our lives the same way. We will be exalted and glorified. Now, Jesus is God, so he is exalted to the throne that is God. We will be exalted to the place of the highest part of creation because that's what we are. We will always be a part of creation. We won't be any higher than that, but that's okay. Because we'll be in our rightful place below God, worshiping Him, experiencing His grace and His love and His holiness and His power for all eternity. And if that is not your hope, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. And, and I mean that. If that is not your hope, if your final hope, hope is not I will be with God for all eternity. My sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ because He died for me and I believe in Him and that is the end that I have. If it is based in anything else on a belief that, well, because I follow God, he, he, He's going to make me completely healthy and I'll never struggle with health issues. Or if, if I follow God, He's going to make my career go the way that it should go and I'll always be successful. You're going to be disappointed. You're putting your hope in something in this world and it's in something that's seen. And so it's no hope at all. What did Paul say? He says hope, if we hope for what we see, that's not hope. Hope is what is unseen. Could Jesus see and experience the resurrection before the death? No. That sounds kind of, Silly, right? He couldn't experience the resurrection before the death. And yet that's what a lot of us in the Christian world want to do today is we want the power of the resurrection now. And we forget in order for resurrection to happen, a death has to happen first. And that's why even in Hebrews he says, it's appointed once for men to die and then face the judgment. Look, none of us is getting out of this alive. Okay? Okay. The the mortality rate, I hate to break it to you in this world, the mortality rate is 100%. Okay, new statistics were just released. (laughs) The mortality rate in this world is 100%. We're all experiencing that, and nothing is going to keep us from it. Okay? So our hope is not in this life. Our hope gives us strength for this life. Because we know this life is not the end of the story. And what we learn with that is that hope does not disappoint. Hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame. Hope did not come for free. It came with a tremendous price, but the reward of hope outweighs its costs. Because here's the truth. Is there a price to be paid to have faith in Jesus in a broken world? better believe it jesus said if the world hates you know that it hated me first and a student is not greater than his master and he's letting you know to follow him you will have trouble in this world you will have persecution you will be going against the grain there will be a price to your hope in this world But every Christian martyr in the world that the world has ever seen has said I will pay that price because my hope is greater than than this world. What I hope in is not for this life to work out but for the next life to work out. And so do do with me what you will in this life. You can't take my hope from me. And I will not abandon my hope on the false hope offered by this world. I won't walk away from it. And throughout the centuries, the millennia, that God's people have been willing to do that, we have seen it always has a greater impact. Every time governments throughout history, it doesn't matter where, have tried to use force to stop the Christian faith, what happens? It grows. History is full of those examples, and yet the world just keeps trying. Why? Because they don't like our hope. Jesus said, the world is going to hate you. And some Christians, we just got to do better at accepting that. It's like for some reason, we think we got to be cool. and We got to be accepted by the world and by God at the same time. And if if we're not loved by everyone, that something is wrong. Hey, Jesus wasn't loved by everyone. What was his life? He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was rejected and despised and we esteemed him not. And in many ways, that's what we are signing up for in the Christian life when we follow Jesus. We're joining him in his sufferings now so that we can join him in his glory later. And we cannot change that order. I hate to break it to you, but that order will not be changed for anyone. It wasn't even changed for Jesus. What did he say? God, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. There was no other way. He had to go through the cross, through the death to get to the resurrection. And we too have to pay the price of hope, whatever that price is in our lives in order to get to the blessing that God has. And we can't short-circuit it. That is the process we will always go through. But the hope never disappoints us if we maintain our strength through it. If we allow it to guide us, if we allow our faith to guide us in life, it does not disappoint. In Romans 5, 2-5, through 5, it says, Through him What Paul is telling us is that we can rejoice in the suffering now because of the hope of what God is doing. God will not waste any suffering in your life. Did you know that? You will not ever suffer needlessly in life. Now, I'm not saying God's causing it. I'm saying God is always going to take it and turn it into something for his glory in time. Now, we may not see it in this life. It may be in the next life, and suddenly we're going to go, Wow, God, you did that, and, and it's all going to make sense. We're going to take the crown off. He put on our head, and we're going to throw it at his feet and say, That's your crown, not mine. You did all of this. But God will not waste suffering in this life. Now, if that is not the definition of hope, I don't know what is. To know that whatever it is that we experience, if we will trust God in it, and trust God to get us through it, it will always return greater than what we receive. Whatever suffering we experience, the glory that will be gained from it will always be greater than what happened in the moment. Whether in heaven or in this life, God will always bring it back we can remember that, then that is how we live a life of hope. Because even when it gets bad, we can say, oh, man, I'm, God's doing something here. I don't know what, but he's doing something. And I can trust that when we, when we see what he's doing, we're going to be amazed. And, yeah, it feels like a death right now. It feels like a crucifixion. It feels like something horrible. And you know what? It probably is. I'm not making light of it. The crucifixion of Jesus was a horrible, bloody, brutal mess that was necessary to get the glorification in the resurrection. We will go through that same process, but we also have the same hope. So let me ask you this. What is the joy that is set before you? Jesus said for the joy, you know, said, "For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He refused to allow the shame of the cross to define him. Even though he was going through it, he knew who he was and what he was doing. What is the joy that is set before you? Where is your hope? It's possible you've been living a life with your hope and something in this world, and that's why you keep getting disappointed. And maybe you're even looking to God and saying, God, why is this happening? Why, I'm trusting. Why is this going bad? Why is this going bad? And God's saying, Look, I'm not here. This isn't about right now. This is about what I'm doing for later. Where's your hope? Don't put your hope in the circumstance, put your hope in me, in my kingdom. Because when we learn that, friends, that's when we find freedom and we find strength and we find peace. And we find the joy of the Lord even in the midst of suffering. And that's what Paul meant when he says we rejoice in suffering. He's not saying he enjoys suffering. He's saying I can rejoice because I have hope because I know God is going to use it. Because I know God is always at work and my God is good and my God is able and I know my hope is secure. So this week, as we go into a new year now, I want you to ask yourself, where is my joy? What is the joy that God has set before me that gives me hope and strength for this life? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. And God, we thank you that you have given us a sure hope in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we know that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. That you have been glorified. That you have the name that is above all names. That you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, we bow our heads to you. Because you are worthy. Help us to live then with the hope that you give. That immovable, unshakable hope that comes through the Holy Spirit and through the knowledge of you. God, we pray for this new year. God, we pray it as a year in which you are truly glorified in this church. God, that our discipleship goes to a, a new level. God, that our sense of mission increases to a new level. And God, that you are glorified. God, I pray for each family represented in here in this new year. God, that you would do a work in each household represented here. God, that you would be glorified in families, in marriages, in houses, in careers. God, we we give this year to you. Use us for your kingdom how you see fit. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray.